God is an awesome God with a big heart. You know, First John three one. You know, God talks about, "I adore you. You are my beloved child." Check that out. That's who we are. So, brothers and sisters, I want to encourage us: practice hospitality, especially to the immigrants, to the refugees, foreigners in our land. Because that's who God is. He's an awesome God with a big heart. Welcome to the Sunday morning service here at First Evangelical Church Glendale in Glendale, California. Let's listen as Mr. Peter Lamb, Discipleship and Missions Minister at FEC Glendale, teaches from the Word of God. So I, wa- I wanted to start off with a little story. You know, you know, I, was, uh, I used to be a, a, a field worker, missionary in, in China. And uh, one time I, I went to this um, remote uh, county in, uh, in China and my friend, well, the Chinese guy, took me to this, to this uh, Confucius temple. It was the biggest Confucius temple in, uh, in the whole county. So I was walking around and, um, and you know, um, you know, I see all these plants, but you know, I, I wasn't looking at the flowers. You know, I used to be a civil engineer, so I was looking for drainage pattern, you know, <laughs> in the courtyard. And, uh, and I would walk around and goes, hey, I, I didn't see any drainage holes that, that, you know, there's four walls, right? And then they got the temple in the middle. And then, you know, water's supposed to, when it rains, it's supposed to drain out, right? To, to, out from the courtyard. Otherwise, you, you, flood, you flood the whole place. So I asked him, I asked him you know, what, what's with the, you know, there's no drainage. And uh, so he took me to the, the, the guy who takes care of the, the temple and he goes, oh, no, when the rain falls into the temple, is it becomes phased or it's a, it's a blessed water. You, you, don't, you don't let the blessed water out. You keep it inside. So there's no drainage. And I thought of that. Oh, wow, okay. Keep hold all the blessed water to itself, huh? I said, okay, I hope, you know, I hope our church doesn't do that. And we don't. <laughs> and, you know, we look at our, our Glendale Church, the, the history of Glendale Church, 57 years, right, Marshall? 57 and we've planted churches all over California, you know, all over LA, Los Angeles, right? And we've, we, through FECA and, and history, we, we've planted churches all over the world, St. Petersburg, India, and China, everywhere. And we support missionaries everywhere. And, and so, you know, we should be very proud of ourselves in, in the mission movement and mission work we've done through our church. But today I want to talk about something a little different, different kinds of mission work. I want to talk about, you know, caring for the strangers, the refugees and immigrants among us in our own neighborhood. Not so much missions as across the ocean, somewhere overseas, you have to take a plane or cross borders, but right here in Los Angeles, right now, this month. Now, if I were to tell you to command you, you know, love your neighbor, you know, care for the immigrants. You probably tell me, yeah, it's a good reminder. And, and just like, you know, when I remind my daughter to, hey, don't forget to do your homework today. You know what she was telling me, right? Yeah, 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 I know, I know, I'll do it. You know, so you know, some, some of you, you know, who have teenagers know what I'm talking about, right? So I'm not here to nag you to, uh, to care for the refugees. And, and you know, it, it was just obeying the commands of God is not only the reasons 
that this is the only motivation that we care for the refugees or the foreigners in our land. So I want to take you guys back to Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy and how Moses talks to the people of Israel. So I'm going to read from Deuteronomy 10, verse 12 to 22. This is from NIV. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good? To the Lord your God belongs the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is the one you praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. Your ancestors who went down into Egypt were 70 in all, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. Now the book of Deuteronomy is Moses' final message to the Israelites before they enter into the promised land. Now Moses is old. He's probably around 120 years old, around there. And it's, he's at the end of his life. He's going to die soon. And God... You know, he, God freed the first generation of Israelites. Remember that in the book of Exodus? That was like 40 years before when he's giving this message. But because of Israel's rebellion, the entire nation was just going around in circles in the desert for 40 years until the first generation of adults passed away. They had died off because they were rebellion. So the Lord didn't want them to enter the promised land. Now the second generation is coming up. Now with three exceptions, Moses, uh, Joshua, and Caleb. Those are the three exceptions. Now the second generation is ready to enter the promised land. So it was a, a season of hope, a season of beginning. But it was, for Moses, it was also a season of ending. And, you know, the second generation, they didn't have the first-hand experience like the, their parents did about God. And they have not seen what you know, God did in Egypt, how he used the 10 plagues, you know, rescue them, you know, pull them out of Egypt. They didn't experience any of that. They didn't experience the, 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 the cloud and the fire and all that stuff. They were too young. And they were not even born yet. So here's Moses, right? The parents are not here. He's like a, like a great-grandfather, you know. You know, he's just telling, sitting there telling the young folks, 
hey, this is what's going on. This is the law. This is what God t- tells me. This is what happened. Remember that, these things, and obeyed God. You know, in other words, he's telling them how they should live and why. Now, the first teachings of the law was given, you know, in, in the book of Exodus, Numbers, and Leviticus. So this is the second telling of the law. And that's what the Greek word Deuteronomy means, is the second telling of the law. Now, why am I giving you all this background? Why is this important? Because, if, you know, like I said before, if you're a parent, you know, you know that. If you, if I, just, I just told you so. The Lord saith, so just obey. It doesn't work. You need love and logic, right? I mean, if a teenager, how much more does adults need that? So Moses has explained to them the love and logic, the principles behind these laws. Why should you obey? You know, and he goes through this. Now, in the first five chapters, uh, and he talks about you know, the law and the Ten Commandments and all that. But in chapter 10, Moses shifts gear. He takes a pause and he, goes, and he starts talking about the essence of the law. You know, where is the law coming from? Why is it? Where is it derived from? And it derives from principles and, and the personhood, who God is. It comes from the, the, the character of God, the heart of God. The first reason to obey God is that God is an awesome God. In Deuteronomy 10.14, it says, Heaven and earth belongs to God. He owns everything in the entire universe. He is the only true God. Verse 17, For the Lord your God is God of gods, Lord of lords, the great and mighty and awesome God, who knows, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribe. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. More about that second part in a minute. This is who God is. He is an awesome God. And he especially loves the marginalized people. Now, why does God care for the marginalized? Why is God the God of gods and Lord of lords? That's just who he is. He's an awesome God with a big heart. Secondly, God loves you. God loves, Moses telling, God loves you, Israelites. And God loves us. Verse 15, yet the Lord set his affection on you, on your ancestors, and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. In the message version, of this uh, passage, it says, but it was your ancestors who God fell in love with. He picked their children, that's you, out of all the other peoples. Now remember, Moses is retelling this stuff. The first-hand experience was in Exodus 19, when they just got out of Egypt. Exodus 19, 4 to 6, this is what Moses, this is what God told Moses. He says, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests 
and holy nations. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Man, if you have a bad day and you feel down, read that passage. It's going to lift you up on wings of eagle. That's what God is telling the Israelites. He loves and adores them. And passages like first, you know, first John 3, 1, you know, God talks about, I adore you. You are my beloved child. Check that out. That's who we are. Third reason, obey for your own good. Third motivation says, verse 13 says, for your own well-being. It's good for you to obey God, to follow him. For your own individual good and, and for the good of the nation. I want to drill down more about this in a minute. First, let's go, let's go deeper on God as an awesome God with a big heart. Now, the word foreigner in the Hebrew is ger. It means an alien, a stranger, a foreigner, a sojourner, one who is of different geographical or cultural group, often with less rights than the reference group. So who are are we talking about in today's language? Well, these are the immigrants, right? These are the refugees that come into our shores. They're the one with less privileges, less rights. And they are from different group and culture than the mainline, mainstream group, right? So in the beginning of chapter 10, Moses recalls his experience, right? He says in, in chapter 10, verse 1, he says, at that time, talking about back in the day, right? And that's what Moses is recalling. And he's remembering Moses is remembering uh, these stories to the second generation Israelites and who God is. And he was recalling, actually, from, from an experience he had in Exodus 34, which is the first time it happened. Now, back in Exodus 34, Moses was feeling really down because what happened? He went up to the mountain to, get the, to, to receive the Ten Commandments, stone tablets, and, and then and down below in the valley, the, the Israelites were rebelling, making golden calf and all kinds of crazy stuff and worshiping them. And, and then so he got upset, he came down, he smashed the, the Ten Commandment tablets and, and goes, so he was, that's Exodus 34. That's the after that. So he was, Moses was down. And he was upset, he was depressed, he was angry, and sad and disappointed. And then this is what God, how, this is how God responded to the people and to Moses in Exodus 33. God said, I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, and Pesites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. So this is God's, Father God's response to the Israelites. Now, you know, if, if someone hurt you deeply, like some kind of betrayal or something, you know, even after you re- reconcile with that person, you, you, you just want to keep a little distance from them, 
you know, it's going to take some time before I warm up to that person. You know what I mean? But can you see that in the Father God's heart? You know, this golden calf thing and all this stuff, what all that God has done for them. God said, I'm going to keep a little distance from but I'm still going to keep my promises to you. My angel is going to lead you into and defeat all these people in there, and I'm going to lead you into the promised land. But I'm going to keep my little distance. I'm not going to cope with you. It is very sombering. But at the same time, I see the, 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 the father heart of God. He feels. He's not just this, this God up there. You know, we always think the Old Testament God is this God who's far away, who's, who, who, who's, you know, he's got this big stick. No. Father God gets hurt. Then Moses asked, so God, are you still going to be with me? Are you, going to, are you still going to be with me to lead this people, this stiff-necked people? I need to see something, Lord. I need to see that you're still with me. I want to see your glory. Now imagine, here's Moses again, very human. I mean, after all that he has been through with God, all the signs and wonders and you know, talking to face talking to God face to face in the tabernacle, all that stuff. But still, he says, Lord, I need a moment. I need to experience you in a fresh way. Now, any of you need that? I need it. I need it. So it's okay. When you need it, tell God, Lord, I, I need that Exodus 33, you know, moment. I'm in one of those moments. I need a fresh anointing. I need a fresh experience from you. And this is what the Lord said to, to Moses, Exodus thirty three nineteen, And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, but <clears throat> he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back. My face must not be seen. Now, there are only two times in the entire Old Testament that God have a self-proclamation of who he is. Both times to Moses. The first time was in Exodus, the burning bush. I am, right? God says, I am. That's my name. This is the second time. There's only two times. Exodus 34, 6. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming. This is the Lord. This is God passing, proclaiming himself. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness maintaining love to the thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generations. Now notice, when God self-proclaimed about himself, 
He starts off with what? That he's compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, forgiving, and he's holy and just. But he starts off with compassionate, forgiving God. And that is who God wants us, who God wants his people to know. That's who he is, that he is first of all compassionate and forgiving. Now we we'll often see God as a judgmental God. He's, he's holy and he's got this big stick, right? No, God is just, yes, but he's also compassionate. Now back in Deuteronomy 10, in verse 17, Moses, remembering his experience with God, he said this about God. Now remember, this is like second telling again. He's remembering all that stuff in the past. Deuteronomy 10, 17, 18, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, and who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. Verse 17 is very peculiar because, you know, if you read Old Testament, you get a feeling that, you know, God is chose this Israelite people. He's going to set them apart, being holy, and this tells them all these rules about clean and unclean, being circumcised, and all this stuff, and to be set apart. But then now he talks about this loving the strangers, the foreigners among you. It just seems like two opposite poles, you know? To be set apart and then at the same time love the strangers and the foreigners among you. What's going on there? Now, when he's, when verse 17 it says, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes, you know, he... He's talking about, he's comparing and contrasting our God with the pagan gods that's all around him. Because he's talking about the pagan gods, worship is a transactional relationship. Where the people sacrifice to their gods and he brings them good things, you know, and, and, and why? Because he wants the God to bless them. It's a transactional thing. And, you know, in China, I see people go to the temples, you know, burn incense and give all kinds of food and, and even give cash to, to, you know, to the temple and, and the, all that stuff. And why? There's always a request for something in return. No. Our God loves us no matter what. And we love him too. And therefore, we obey his rules. We obey because of love, not what we can get out of it. And check this out. And the fact that orphans, the widows, and often the fatherless, he's talking about the fatherless and the widows and the immigrants, you know what? They have nothing to give back. These people are living on the margins. But guess what? God still loves them. That's what he says. I love these people, God says. Even though they have nothing to give back in return. I'm not a God who shows partiality. I'm not a God who is transactional. I love those who give nothing back to me. I love you, even though you give nothing back to me. 
That's what God is telling us. He is a God who's an awesome God with a big heart. Amen? Verse 18. Right after 17, Moses gives this command for us to imitate God, to also love the foreigners. And you are to love those who are foreigners. For you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Now, Moses was actually repeating God's command back in Exodus 23 when it first came out. Exodus 23:9. Do not oppress a foreigner. You yourself know how it feels to be foreigners because you were foreigners in Egypt. Huh? That's what Moses is telling him. Now, Leviticus 19 again, 33 to 34. These are all stuff from the, in the past that God gave to Moses in the first generation. Now he's rehearsing it. He's retelling it. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born, meaning citizen. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Now that's the authority behind it. I am the Lord your God. That's who I am. Now remember, this is a new generation of Israelites. They were not like their parents who were refugees out of Egypt. Moses is reminding them there is only one degree difference between you and your parents who were slaves in Egypt. You know, Jesus, Jesus also was a refugee. You know, Christmas is coming up. You read that Christmas story again. You know, Joseph and Mary had to take boy Jesus and flee and rest and get out of Judea to Egypt. Why? Because King Herod was coming after them and was trying to kill them. And that's what refugees does. They run for their lives from their home to other places because of persecution and fearing for their lives. Jesus was a refugee. But more than that, this, this, he's saying, you know, you used to be a foreigner in Egypt. He's trying to evoke that empathy within them, the second generation, because they, they, they didn't experience that as their parents did. But remember, your parents did. And I wanted to tell you a little story. We, we used to work in the village, and uh, we used to have this program called Village um, Teachers Training. So we go into these uh, really uh, simple villages, and they have these little school, school houses, and the floor was just dirt, and, 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 and uh, uh, the, the tables all rough lumber. So we brought this um, uh, multinational tycoon dude from, from, I think, I forgot from what country, Malaysia or Singapore or somewhere, and, uh, to, to the village. He's a Christian. And, and he went into the, it takes like three hours in multiple, you know, buses and whatnot and to get there. So he sat in this little village, you know, little chair, and, uh, and he took off his shoes and he rubbed his feet into the dirt floor and he feels the grain of the wood. And, and he started weeping. 
And he says, you know, I used to be a kid in this classroom. But God took me out and put me where I am. And now I'm in this, you know, multimillionaire guy. But he remembers. He remembers where he comes from. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was sharing about the Afghan refugees at the epicenter. And uh, we were asking for prayer. And, and this, this middle-aged lady came up and, and started praying and says, You know what? I was a refugee. My parents were from Vietnam. And uh, we came here, and someone took care of us. So I'm going to take care of these Afghan refugees. She was the second generation Vietnamese. You know, I, I think besides being empathetic to the refugees and immigrants, I think God is prescribing a, a spiritual discipline, a, a, a spiritual practice for the people of Israel to nurture this kindness and compassionate heart so that they will not become excessively proud and exclusive of their Jewish identity. So helping the poor, the refugees, you know, is a thankless job. I work among the poor for many years, and I still do. And often, you do 99 things right, but you do one thing that does not meet the expectations. Often, the poor criticize you. Because they're very needy. Not all of them are like that, but many are. It's a thankless job. So to help the poor, the refugees, takes a lot of unconditional love. They might not be grateful for all the help you give them. They might even criticize you. They'll continue helping and, and not get anything in return and not being, being grateful or, or, you know. To do that, you really have to, and not get compassion fatigue, you know. You have to stay close to the Lord and let God minister to you. You cannot give what you don't have. And you can only minister to the needy if you yourself are not needy. Also, particularly loving the foreigners, the refugees, will help the Israelites to not become xenophobic, but have a big heart like God. So not only will it keep your heart soft and, and tender and stay close to the Lord, but it'll help you not become xenophobic. I'm going to drill down a little bit more about that. You know, last summer, sorry. Last summer, I was in Berlin, Germany, helping the refugees, the Syrian refugees. And I visited this museum uh, for refugees. One of the museums had a display that really shocked me. It claimed that nationalism was the cause for many historical genocide. It all started with nationalism. Now, what is nationalism? Oh, you got it on the screen. Great. Nationalism is identification with one's own nation and support for its interests, especially to the exclusion and detriment of the interests of other nations. Okay? Now think of Nazi Germany during World War II. Nazi claimed to be a superior race and has the right to dominate and even eliminate other inferior race. 
And this radical extreme nationalism turns into xenophobia, a dislike of or prejudice against people from other countries or ethnicity. Now, these are official definitions. When this xenophobia culture gets mainstreamed and the nations turned violent towards the foreigners and the minorities, then it's too late. Brothers and sisters, this nationalism that turns violence happens again and again in human history. Just the 20th century alone, I'll just name three. The Armenian genocide. Armenians living all around us. You ask them, they know. 1915, one and a half Armenians died. The Holocaust, 1940s, six million Jews died. Rwanda genocide, 1994, 1.1 million people died in 100 days, three months, 1.1 million people died. Back to Deuteronomy 10. It was a time of nation building, building capacity for the Israel nation. God tells them, Israelites, you are a special chosen people. They are called to be holy, to be set apart. Now, this kind of thinking can be a slippery slope, can be on a downward spiral of extreme nationalism and xenophobia. They've taken the wrong way. And you can see this is what happened in the New Testament. Now, Jesus He's scolding his own people. Matthew 3, 9 to 10. Do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. They're so proud. Oh, this is clean. That's not unclean. You Gentiles, no, unclean. Moses knows this. Go back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 10, 14 to 16. To the Lord your God belongs the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affections on your ancestors and loved them. And he chose you, their ancestors, above all nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. You see, caring for the foreigners is a personal and also a national spiritual discipline to circumcise our hearts, to not let our hearts be hardened and not follow God's ways. That's why in verse 13 it says, obey God's command, especially caring for the foreigners, for your own well-being, for your own good, for the good of your own heart, for your own formation, So there you have it, the motivation of serving refugees from Deuteronomy 10. It's not simply, thus saith the Lord, we serve the refugees. Because we serve an awesome God with a big heart. God who loves the refugees. Think of it like this, like a father and daughter relationship. I have two daughters. Now when they were young, 
they're older now. One is 20-something, the other one is in high school. And uh, when they were little, they would love to get involved with what I'm doing. You know, I might be tinkering, fixing something, and they'll come around, hey, Daddy, Daddy, what are you doing? I, I want to I help you too, right? Some of you have young children, know what I'm talking about. And uh, so I invite them. Now, it's going to take me five times the amount of work, you know, to, 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 to do the same thing, you know, with, with my daughter helping me, right? But, hey, I want her. Because I want her to be involved with what I'm doing. Because of out of love. Now, this is what's going on. Father loves the refugees. And I says, Father, I want to get involved with what you want to do. I want to get involved with what you love. But you know, it's going to take the Father and the angels five times, ten times more work to get us involved to help the refugees. But that's what he wants to do because it's out of love. He loves us. It's about satisfying the Father's heart for the refugees. Now, at the beginning, I told you a story about the Confucius Temple in China. Now, I want to tell you another story about the prophet Ezekiel and about another temple, a temple that God is in the process of making. I want to invite Glendale Church to catch this vision of this temple. Ezekiel 47, 1 to 12. It's a long passage, just bear with me. So this is um, God showing Ezekiel, the prophet, about this vision of this new temple. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple, toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gates facing east, and the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through the water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through the water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through the water that went up to my waist. He measured another thousand. Now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back in the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into Arabah, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be a large number of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from En Jedi and En uh, Gleam, there will be spaces, places for spreading the nets, and the fish will be many kinds. 
like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and the marshes will not become fresh. They will be left salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both sides of the riverbanks. Their leaves will not wither, nor will will their fruit fail. Each month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. The fruit will serve for food and the leaves for healing. And then to the end of the passage in in, uh, 47, it says, You are to distribute this land among yourselves according to the tribes of Israel. You are to allot it as an inheritance for yourself and for the foreigners residing among you and who have children. You are considered them as native-born citizens, Israelites. Along with you, they are to be allotted an inheritance among the tribes of Israel. In whatever tribe a foreigner resides, they are to give them an inheritance, declares the sovereign Lord. That is the vision. That's the picture. The temple with the water going outward, becoming a river, sustaining life wherever it touches. And the foreigners become citizens. That's the vision of the new temple. The Holy Spirit, the water, flowing out from the church, touching all the streets and the neighborhoods, all the cities, all over LA. That we would share our inheritance in the Lord. And you don't lose your inheritance. That's the beauty of God's inheritance. It's not a zero-sum game. You share with the foreigners, the immigrants, the strangers in the land, the refugees, and they become family. And that's what the practice of hospitality is about, isn't it? It's about making a stranger to become a neighbor and a neighbor to become family. So brothers and sisters, I want to encourage us, practice hospitality, especially to the immigrants, to the refugees, foreigners in our land. Because that's who God is. He's an awesome God with a big heart. So in ending, I just want to um, um, invite you all to come to the, um, the meeting later at 11 o'clock down, downstairs in the basement about how to help the refugees in practical ways. And as I end, you know, uh, after the doxology, pray and sit in silence and hear God. How does he want you to satisfy his heart for the refugees and the immigrants? Let us pray. Father, I ask for your grace to keep our heart soft, keep our heart open, so that you may use us, invite us to be your heart's 
in hands to be a blessing, to be that living water that touches. So thank you for just blessing us in this church tremendously. In Jesus' name we pray. So let me say the benediction and we can sing the doxology. Um, the Lord bless you. Oh, I think we should stand up. I forgot. <laughs> That's right. I'm out of practice. May the Lord bless you and keep you and the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. This has been the Sunday morning service here at First Day Evangelical Church Glendale in Glendale, California. If this message has been a blessing to you, then we invite you to tune in again next week for another spirit-filled sermon by our pastors. Now that the governor of California has eased some of the restrictions regarding public gatherings during the pandemic, we are now pleased to invite you and your family to come and worship with us here at FECG. Sunday morning service times are 9.30 a.m. for the English service and 11.30 a.m. for the Cantonese and Mandarin service. Advanced registration is required, so just go to our website, www.fecg.org, for more information. Until next time, thanks for listening, and may the Lord continue to bless you. <laughs>